0: What can AI do that replaces what we can do? AI can be an amazing tool for helping students with scaffolding and supports. My biggest concern is deep fakes and misinformation.
1: The topic for today's podcast is the AI Roadmap, Human Learning in the Age of Smart Machines, with John Spencer. Unpacking Education is brought to you by Avid.org. AVID believes every student deserves a quality education. To learn more about AVID, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark.
2: I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators, and we're here to share insights and actionable strategies.
1: Education is our passport to the future. Our quote today is from our guest, Dr. John Spencer, in his book, The AI Roadmap, Human Learning in the Age of Smart Machines. Now in this book, he says, the blended approach embraces the strengths of both the human and the machine. All right, y'all, I'm excited about our conversation today. Let's have Paul go ahead and kick it off.
2: I am all about that blended approach idea. I think that is so key. Uh, You know, we don't want to outsource our humanity to machines. (laughs) But at the same time, if we can leverage technology to make us more efficient and then maybe offload some of that boring procedural stuff of our daily lives, maybe we can regain valuable time for those, I don't know, what do you call them, uniquely human things that we do, like relationships and empathy and collaboration and expressing our unique voices, those kinds of things, I think. Then it's powerful.
3: Um, So I'm going to take on the part of the strengths because I feel like some of the reasons why people are afraid of AI is because they think that they are losing and their strengths won't be as valued in the new marketplace and the new engagement place and all of these spaces. So I like the idea that both strengths are necessary and the individual, the humans don't feel that they're going to be losing and it's going to take them away from their quality. So I like the idea of both benefiting and both being able to engage in a value instead of it just being a one-sided engagement.
1: And I'm excited to dig in more around this topic. And mostly I'm excited to welcome back John Spencer to the podcast. So welcome back. Thanks for being here. John joined us last year to talk about empowering students. And today he's back to talk about his new book, The AI Roadmap, human learning in the age of smart machines now if you don't remember john is a former middle school teacher and currently he is a college professor and he's on a quest to transform schools into bastions of creativity and wonder he wants to see teachers unleash unleash the creative potential in all of their students so that kids can be makers designers artists and engineers so a man of my own heart so welcome back john
2: (laughs) all right welcome back john Thanks. So glad to be here.
1: That could be a a new song, Paul, on your next album. Welcome back. Like Welcome Back, Cotter? Are you you, you channeling
2: that old TV show? (laughs) That is is really old school right there.
1: Ah, Well, I'm excited to talk about the book today. So to start out your book, you talk about two dead-end choices when approaching AI in schools. Can you talk about those two poor options and then share what you believe might be a better approach to AI?
0: So the first option to avoid is what I call technofuturism, and that's sort of taking a technocratic, technophile, whatever you want to call it, approach, where you start with the question what can AI do that replaces what we can do? And the downside of that view, although it sounds good, is that it centers it on the technology and it focuses on this idea of what is the newest, greatest, what are the best gadgets, and how will that transform learning? And the problem is it doesn't center it on anything human. It doesn't focus on any values that we hold and it ultimately leads to chasing novelty, right? Like we've, we've lived through a bit in education when it comes to this. I remember it was gonna be internet connection and solving the digital divide. I remember when it was one-to-one com- computing. Um, I lived through the, the buzz of the, the interactive whiteboard craze where that was gonna fix everything. And the truth is when we ask the question, what can tech do that we can do? I think that's the wrong question to be asking. Because the truth is there's a lot of things that technology does really well that we still need to do in order to engage in deeper learning, right? So even if generative AI can write an essay for us, part of why we write is to make meaning, right? We don't just write as a result of learning. We write in order to learn. Um, Obviously, technology has been around for a long time that can annotate information, summarize it for us and put it together into really good notes. But what we know is that handwritten notes, as old school as that may be, leads to deeper learning and more retention of the knowledge, which in the end, it makes it sticky, right? So if you think about basic information processing theory, we need to do certain things that AI does. But the other piece that I think about is, where's the joy in just letting the tech do it for us, right? Um, when the pandemic hit and I did a show and tell, a virtual show and tell activity with my cohort, all of the items that people grabbed were items that could be automated. It was you know, garden tools. Well, we, we have automated farming that does a lot of that for us. It was you know, cooking utensils. Well, the truth is we can go buy packaged food from the grocery store and it automates it for us. Um, my daughter loves to knit and crochet. You can go to a big box store and buy a blanket that was done faster and cheaper, but it's not something that you cherish the way you do with a crocheted blanket. Um, as much as I love Oreo cookies, they're not as good as the handmade cookies that we make you know, around the holidays. So for that reason, I really think we need to avoid that first trap of techno-futurism. The second trap that we want to avoid, the second dead end, is the lock-it-and-block-it approach. And we see this with the idea of saying, you know, kids are only going to use this for cheating. It's going to ruin education. The Disruptions are going to cause too many problems. Let's just block all AI from schools. And, you know, we'll, we'll do writing with those blue books, things like that. The problem with that approach is it doesn't teach students how to use it ethically and wisely. It doesn't prepare them for what life will be like outside the walls of the school. But more importantly, it, it doesn't leverage some of the capacity of the AI. I've already seen how um, AI can be an amazing tool for helping students with scaffolding and supports. And that's especially true, I've noticed, with uh, certain students who are first-generation college students who need to navigate lots of information, new information and If they can use a tool like Generative AI, things like ChatGPT, to be able to navigate this new experience, I don't want to take that away from them, right? Um, I've seen it with the ability of students who struggle with executive function as a scaffold to help them with executive function. The ability to create your own skill practice is significant. So it's an amazing tool for that. It can be great for personalized learning, for answering questions, for... Um, building conceptual knowledge. It can be great incorporating it into creative work to sort of reduce some of the repetitive tasks that students spend too much time on during things like project-based learning so they can focus on more of the deeper creative work. So I think we want to avoid both of those two extremes and instead go with a blended approach that centers it on the human aspect and then asks what exactly can the AI add to it that is still human-centered? And, you know, one of the best examples I, I think of outside of school is when it comes to chess, an AI will always beat a chess master. But nearly every time when a human uses AI, they beat the AI at chess, right? And that's just chess is a very closed system. If you think about life, life is much more complex than chess. It requires contextual knowledge. It requires empathy. It requires all of these dynamic var- variables. And because of that, we will never want to outsource that to the technology, but we can leverage it in a way that is still human-centered. And that's that's my hope with the AI Roadmap.
3: Hmm.
2: You said a lot of things in there that really resonate with me. And, and one that sticks out when you were talking about disadvantages of the lock it and block it approach is that students then don't have an opportunity to learn what it means to engage with that ethically and wisely. It makes me think more broadly about information literacy, literacy in general. Um, do you have any thoughts about how we might actually need to rethink and redefine information literacy now in this AI generation that we're in?
0: That's one of my biggest fears with AI, and this is something where when I've talked to experts, it tends to be their bigger fear. Like initially when generative AI was first coming out and I, I first learned about a lot of these things around, I don't know, 2016, 2017, I, I was worried about you know Skynet. Like I was worried about all these big fears from science fiction. But actually, when I think about it now, I'm more concerned about what this means for misinformation, what this means for democracy, what this means for for those elements. So I am less worried about AI taking over systems or, you know, even less concerned about AI being used for cheating, which is a big concern that a lot of teachers have. My biggest concern is deep fakes and misinformation. and And I get really worried about that. And so I think What that means, what that looks like is our approach to information literacy is going to have to be different than traditional approaches that we've used in the past, right? So the CRAAP test or lateral reading or a lot of the things that we learned, they were actually designed in many cases at a time when technology was much more siloed, where there were gatekeepers... It kind of comes out of the library science world. And that's great. But so much of information literacy is going to be what we do when we're scrolling on our phones, what we do when we're interacting with a person and we don't know if that person is real or not. And so I think in the future, as we approach information literacy, it's going to need to be a mindset and it's going to need to be a habit. And it's going to have to be one of skepticism. And it's really going to have to be looking at multiple sources, multiple angles, and it's going to look different. Um, In the book, I I mentioned I really like the work of uh, Jennifer Lagarde and Darren Hudgens because they take a really different approach to information literacy. Um, I I highly recommend their book, um, Digital Detectives. I also think that we're going to have to have some really credible vetting sites that look at how accurate different information is, how credible it is, but it's it's definitely going to be different.
3: Like as you're talking, and I'm thinking about the potential differences within the space, and just thinking about what you said about your um, first generation students and how they're engaging with information. So I'm just wondering how how does AI change? what it means to be a creative thinker, especially since you, we have to put these potential guardrails around mm-hmm. around deep fakes. So uh, how how will AI change what it means to be a creative thinker? And what is role does voice play in that equation, like the individual and how they are involved in this situation? Yeah, I think that students will have to
0: be better critical thinkers of the information that they consume. Mm. And so critical consuming becomes really important, right? Mm. And that's where I kind of view curation as this bridge between creativity and consuming. Mm. And so I think curation will become an even more important human skill that students will have to develop. And I think the better we are at curating, the better we will be at finding our own voice. Because in the end, like the the truth is in any work that we do, we're all collage artists, right? We all sample. You know, my favorite, um, when I think about musicians, I love to look and say, all right, who influenced them? Because you can hear it, right? The very first time that you hear it, you go, okay, I I can see who influenced that artist. And so I think the same thing is gonna be true. And what AI gives us the, the potential to do is get some of that information faster it summarizes a lot of the information. It can take complex information and change the reading level of it, which I think is really powerful for students who are maybe reading at a lower reading level but are still capable of higher, um, deeper thinking. And then in the meantime, they, they're going to have to find their voice. And so when we think about things like, you know, what does the essay look like of the future? I think it's going to have to, the role of voice and tone and style Will be elevated a lot higher, and their ability to think critically about the ideas will sort of come from the AI, and they're gonna have to make it their own.
3: You made me think of like I'm I like as you said music. I was like, oh my god, I'm really into that. But that's kind of like DJing now. There's so much technology. Mm-hmm. There's so yeah. much music, but it's really about the way the DJ curates and creates their playlist to create their mm. own individual identity in this space, right? So I really appreciate the idea of cr- how do you gather the information to demonstrate your personal self, right? I, I like that pers- that idea.
0: And I like that. I think that makes, I think in the back of my head, I was like samples. I was mm-hmm. picturing, like, you know, a lot of artists have samples and, and hooks in the background. But I think your metaphor of DJs is perfect, right? Like, they're going to have to be DJs. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. DJs as a tech. I like the, and the visual of a collage artist. I just think is works really well for me. And that's honestly what we're doing. And I'm trying to, you know, we talk a lot about project-based learning on this show. And I'm wondering how we're going to utilize some of those skills and AI to really approach project-based learning. Um, how do you think AI will impact project-based learning?
0: So I think there's a lot of different, aspects where it will impact PBL. One of the areas is that just the fact that generative AI is so common and prevalent and and will make an even greater impact on our world points toward the need for project-based learning, right? Because of all of those essential skills that you gain through doing a project. And so I I think the, the first side is just, it makes it more relevant. But then it also transforms what PBL will look like. And I think there's a, in each phase of a project, generative AI becomes a powerful tool, right? So at the very beginning, when you're, say, generating research questions, students are going to come up with their own questions. But if they lack prior knowledge, then they're they're not going to come up with great research questions, right? If you think about Hattie's research on inquiry-based learning, the same thing is true, that if you build conceptual knowledge ahead of time, you do a concept attainment lesson, you front load vocabulary, then students can have enough prior knowledge to engage in inquiry-based learning. Well, the same thing is true in PBL, right? But now students can use an AI chatbot to ask questions and to do follow-up questions and more questions and more questions and more questions to build that background knowledge or the ability of a teacher to create multiple curated texts at at different reading levels so that students can access the initial information at their Lexile level. That's huge. That's a big area where it's going to transform the the PBL process. Then as they begin to engage in, you know, actually doing research, they can copy and paste certain texts in to have it summarized, or they can ask a question. I'm confused about what this piece means. And it almost functions like a tutor. They can take multiple texts and ask it to to do a mashup and cite them and so as they engage in research it can be sort of like another group member sort of like a tutor um, you can train it to have you know play the role of uh, sort of a guide in the reflection process and then as you think about in the process of digital modeling it's obviously a critical component of it um, brainstorming navigating conflict within a group but the project management process, you know, breaking down tasks into smaller elements, um, setting deadlines for yourself, those are all things that AI does really, really well. So if your group is falling behind, go you know, send it the, the timetable and ask it to do an estimation of how long it will take, right? Because we as humans have what's called the, the planning fallacy where we overestimate how much will get done in a certain amount of time. AI doesn't, right? They have a much more accurate view. Um, and then when it comes to doing the creative work of you know, a project, a lot of what AI will do well, and it's just in the early phases of this, is the kind of creative work that is redundant and doesn't require a deep amount of creative thinking. So um, editing videos, editing podcasts, obviously, we want, you know, editing podcasts is really hard. And I know someone's gonna be editing this podcast and that's tough, but the future of editing is gonna be that the AI will do certain aspects of editing and then a master editor can take that and revise it and change it and make it their own. Uh, And I've seen that with video editing, things like that. Um, So I think every aspect of PBL, what the AI does is it makes it more feasible and it makes it faster. And the two things that teachers say all the time about PBL is it takes too much time and it costs too much money or that we don't have the materials, now you have tools that are going to make it faster and more feasible.
1: Mm-hmm. a lot more accessible.: mm-hmm.
0: Yes, exactly, much more accessible. And on the accessibility side, again, just like I mentioned before, generating scaffolds and supports, you know having that ability to create the supports during PBL.
2: It's going to be interesting because I think AI is going to offer different kinds of supports than maybe we're used to. Like I do a lot of music production, and now there are AI mastering plugins that you can put in. And you say, learn this song, and it listens to all the tracks, and it Mm -hmm. uses its AI knowledge to try to figure out the best use of compression, the best use of EQing. It does it all for you. And then, of course, you can tweak their settings if you don't agree, but it does it does it for you. So let's say you're you love music and you want to create an album, but you're terrible at mastering. Well, it's okay now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just gonna change so much. It's it's and another thing that it's probably gonna change, and you alluded to it earlier with writing papers. It's probably going to change what assessment looks like. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? You have a crystal ball? Can you can you see what's <laughs> gonna happen? <laughs> well,
0: I mean, you know, I, I think there's a lot in the assessment area where it will take a lot of the auto, it will automate a lot of the thing aspects of assessment that have a high percentage of user error. So like I actually think The ability of AI with voice recognition in the future to do things like fluency screening quickly and even daily fluency screening, that will be huge. The ability to look at a math problem and give a five seconds later get a diagnosis of what things you might have done wrong, that's huge. So things that are repetitive, I mean, we already see it with automated grading, aspects like that. So I think when it comes to screeners and I, you know, Using it as a uh, diagnostic tool, I think it's going to be huge. It can also be great, though, in terms of if you have it trained to help students with self-reflection and metacognition, you know, using AI to help with attention and executive function. There are so many different areas like that where I think it will transform the assessment process. Uh, Just at a basic level, the ease of making rubrics and assessments, formative assessments for teachers and then making them differentiated. Again, I think that's gonna be really cool. Some of the performance feedback aspects, I've been really impressed by in you know, what that looks like for music, for PE, for art. So there's so many areas where I think it will improve assessment. On a basic level, it can just be another set of eyes that you as a teacher will incorporate AI and your own assessment, blend the two together, and you're giving students more timely, better assessment and spending the same amount of time. I mean, that's that's huge. But then also, again, AI can function as a mediator between people doing peer assessment. So, so many different areas of assessment can incorporate generative AI. And I think we're just at the beginning stages of that.
2: I like that you're focusing on, on some of the opportunities there, because I think a lot of times when people hear AI and assessment, they think, oh, the essay is dead. Um, <laughs> you know, kids are just, they've already been Googling answers, so we can't even go there. But you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities beyond the fear pieces that that people have. Mm-hmm. Too.
0: And I think the you know, the fears are, are justified. Yeah. A lot of us were worried when cell phones came out that what will this mean for attention spans and distractions? And guess what? That turned out to be a valid, a valid fear, right? Like we've seen it. So some of the fears that people have about academic integrity and what this means for the essay, I, I, I get it. It's a valid concern.
1: So I'm just curious because it's come up. We, we talk about there's this fear, lock it down. Um, so how might teachers approach this? approach that cheating versus scaffolding question.
0: So I really love, um, you know, Matt Miller, who does uh, Ditch That Textbook, has a a great Mm -hmm. continuum of AI generated to human generated. And I think that's a great first step is to ask that. I think some of it is going to be focusing on rethinking accountability away from catching someone and being more about trust and transparency and so saying, look, I trust you, but I want you to be transparent and show me what aspects are AI-generated and human-generated. Um, in the book, I share this process where it's, you know, you can, you can begin with AI-generated text and then modify it to make it your own, or you can begin with your own text and then use AI to get feedback on your writing and amplify it. And I think both approaches work really well with something like essay writing and academic integrity. Um, and then in, in both cases, you would just color code what's yours versus what was the the AI. So there's a lot of things that you can do like that to really focus on, all right, you can use this. Just show me how you're using it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say, and that's part of that. We talked about some AI literacy, like we're teaching those skills, both to students and staff, because I can imagine if I turned in a paper with two different colors, <laughs> a lot of people be really confused right now. Yeah.
3: I think this, this, all of this conversation is really helping me try to put together this last piece of this question. You're, you're engaging with the individual student, thinking about their response, feedback, teacher assessment. So in your chapter 10 of your book, you talk about AI and personalized learning. And I think that's, in essence, some of the things that we're getting at in this conversation. Um, you wrote that personalized learning must begin with the person rather than the machine, mm-hmm. right? What do you mean by that? I feel like I understand what you mean by that, but I just want to like one check with the author, like the author check. Yes.
1: <laughs> We're checking you our sources. I mean? We're doing no. it. That's right. Right.
3: So I, just, I like this one <laughs> in a different color,
2: Winston. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs>
3: like <laughs> academic, <laughs> academic resource. And um, how do you see AI fitting into that personalized learning?
0: Yeah. So I make the distinction. You know, there's a lot of adaptive learning texts and the problem with them is they're very programmed, mm. and students go through a program. It's like, you're going to read this level reader, you're going to do this vocabulary, and then based on your answer, we're going to make it harder or easier. Mm. But there's no autonomy, there's no choice, there's no ability to, for students to ask questions, to, to answer questions, things like that. Whereas personalized learning, beginning with the person, says, yeah, you know what? We're going to create leveled readers, but the teacher is going to create leveled readers, and the students are going to get to choose some of the topics because you know the standards are, are topic neutral in terms of reading and writing. Um, or we're going to do some advanced choice menus with multiple resources that the resources themselves are AI-generated, but the students still get to select which resources mm. they're doing. Um, we're going to use a chatbot Um, to ask questions and follow-up questions so that students can build their, their conceptual understanding of a topic, right? That's much more personalized because in beginning with the person, it's focused on their curiosity, their questions, their interests, rather than students going to a program where everything is set for them. And based on their answers, it just modifies it and changes it. Because adaptive learning, basically, the, the student is invisible. They're using the same algorithms for all students. They don't really adapt to the individual students. Whereas personalized learning says, look, who you are matters. Your voice matters. Your curiosity matters. And we're going to design it in a way that, that centers it on who you are as a person and the relationship that we have with our students. It's messier. It's It's harder but i think what it does is it takes the notion of personalized learning which in the past was often really hard to accomplish and it just makes it that much more feasible
2: so i'm going to take your personalized learning idea and ask you to personalize something so the okay. last like the last third of your book which is really cool you you kind of dig into the different content areas and look at How might AI actually appear in these kinds of classrooms? So I'm going to ask you to step back into your middle school classroom. Uh You are going back in time, got the flux capacitor going, you're going back. Uh And now, how do you see yourself as a middle school teacher incorporating AI into your classroom? Because you taught social studies, is that right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I started out as a social studies teacher. This is bizarre, but it's a long journey. So Started out social studies and then went from social studies to self-contained. And self-contained was uh, ELL and gifted. Gotcha. And the, those two groups in the same class. And it was language arts, math, science, and social studies. So it was kind of all subjects. Uh, and then I ended with STEM and and journalism. And so I, I think social studies would be fun. Journalism would be fun. Either of those would be fun to kind of step into. Your pick. I would he- love it. To- it's
2: personalized, so you get to choose. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna go social studies because when I started social studies, I mean we didn't even have one to one computing, right? Like like it was old school. We I still had a an overhead projector that was the I don't know, what were those called with the
1: Transparency?
0: Yeah, the transparency projector. There yeah, you was go. An over, that, it is. It was an oh, overhead. Yeah.
2: That's right. Yeah. I yeah,
0: yeah. It was a transparency projector. Yeah. And we had a ditto machine. That was a thing
2: too. <laughs> yeah. Did you have an opaque projector though? No. That's one that's where one. you'd actually set a book on it. And it used mirrors to project up onto. It was like you could actually project a physical book onto the wall. It it was huge, mongus <laughs> huge, mongus I didn't. That would have been cool. Huge mungus. Huge mungus. Sorry, I made that up.
0: Huge but. That's a, anyway, I, I'm going to use that word. now. Not <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than humongous. Huge exactly. Right? Um, you know, so I think I'm imagining a social studies class, and I'm thinking. Once these tools are truly CIPA and COPA compliant, right? They're following the you know the guidelines, or maybe I'm using one that's already you know officially allowed, like Conmigo, right? Something like that. And I'm 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 going to use it in so many different domains. I'm going to have students at a center asking questions and getting follow up you know answers. I'm using it, like I said, in every aspect of the project. Um, I'm using it as a tool where students can have an imaginary conversation, um, with a historical figure. I'm I'm doing using it to do generated visuals of historical events uh, that they incorporate into what they're doing. I mean, there's so many different aspects of of what we do. You know, I'm definitely having students use it for creating checklists for themselves, especially those with again executive function issues. We're using it for lots of scaffolding, definitely using it for project management. I'm doing some choice boards and choice menus where I have created leveled readers and students are getting to select what they're doing based on their own questions um, so I, I I'm imagining myself using it you know on a daily basis, but the bizarre thing is if you walk into the classroom, so much of what you see is going to look a lot like the PBL style teaching that I did at the time. So it's really kind of just happening in, in many respects under the hood. mean, Some of it looks much more explicit, you know, the AI generated images, for example, or, or using it for video editing, some of those tools. But a lot of it's going to be sort of powering the things that we always did, just doing it faster. I love that question though. That's, that's great. I love it.
2: Oh. And I could see the gears turning. I mean, people yeah. can't see you when you're answering, but I could just kind of see it, your eyes go and it was going, you know, you were thinking yeah. and getting excited about what could happen.
0: I mean, it is exciting. Like I, I worked with a, a, someone in my social studies pedagogy course um, on, on creating, using AI as part of creating and just designing a game-based simulation. And it was powerful in terms of what it came up with. And now imagine once we have the ability to really take that simulation, which in this course was going to be a physical hands-on simulation done in class, and it was going to be very dynamic. But once that student can integrate the AI into the adaptive elements in the moment of the simulation, I mean, that's it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a lot of fun.
3: Uh, well, I'm glad that you had fun thinking about your humanities, social studies, history experience to think about how to use AI in your class. I'm going to push you a little bit further. And I'm okay. going to ask you to think about this in the STEM world because sometimes I feel okay. uh, this is my own personal bias and I'm going to express it. Is that sometimes STEM, science, math, it's like we're teaching the science and the math. It's certain things. So can you think of examples of how STEM could use AI and just think about the last chapters in your book to give that where you give some tips and tools, like how could STEM or um, use some of your examples to best engage in AI in their classroom?
0: Oh yeah. I, I think, I mean, one of them is, like I said, using at a base level, using a chat bot to do a Q and a for, for scientific knowledge is part of it. But I think the ability to do STEM projects where you're doing digital modeling, for example, Mm -hmm. and then you can finally test it. You know, you do a hands-on roller coaster that you build and you design a digital one. And then the AI, the generative AI, is able to give you a simulation that connects to it. Um, I mean, AI is powering some really cool virtual labs and simulations. Once we're at a place where we can have students engaged in experimental simulations where they can manipulate chemicals at a molecular level and see the effects of it in a, in a virtual electron microscope. I mean that they would never be able to have an electron microscope in their class. They're way too expensive, Mm -hmm. but a virtual one that simulates what it, what would be done. I mean, that, 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 that would be amazing. So I think in science classes for simulations for uh for STEM projects, the feasibility of, of STEM projects. I think the ethics of experiments, you know, when you think about uh, dissections can be kind of ethically problematic for some students. The notion of doing a fully virtual dynamic dissection. So you're not just watching a video, but you know, what you do actually changes what you see. Mm. That, that'd be really powerful and allow students who have ethical concerns about dissections be able to participate.
2: I love that. There's, there's a lot of tools that he's throwing around there. So I think that's a perfect time to jump into our toolkit.
0: Check it out. Check it out. Check it out.
3: Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What is in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit?
1: Check it out.
2: All right. Toolkit time. Winston, what you got for us? Uh, so I'm going to start with uh, step
3: point one. Check out avidopenaccess.org. I have a lot of stuff on AI and AI usage in the classroom. If you're just nervous and you don't really know where to start, have, that's a really good pre-step to where you can get some information about what's going on. So I think uh, checking out avidopenaccess.org and all of our information on AI is a really good tool and a
2: starting point. I think that a good place for teachers to start is to seek out some of the AI tools that are being developed specifically for educators. So there's a couple that I can think of, like magicschool.ai or AI. They're really good and they have these huge libraries of planning tools that are designed specifically for teachers to save time. And it's a great way for teachers to kind of get introduced to it because it's it's helpful. Uh, and because it is designed for educators. The query fields that you fill out are structured in a way that makes sense for teachers, and you get really relevant information quickly. Um, it's almost like a gateway to AI for, for teachers who don't know anything about it. And so you can generate lessons, you can get differentiated content, you can get assessment ideas, it'll make instructional materials for you, and everything's aligned to academic standards. So I think that that's a great place to start. John, what do you think? You get, you get a chance to drop something in the toolkit.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to share uh two, one, I already mentioned, I, I, I'm a, a pretty big fan of, uh, Conmigo from the Khan Academy. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not free, unfortunately. Um, but I've been impressed with the full capacity of what it can do. Um, and then I, I want to share something that I am going to be sharing out and it's, uh, I don't know if this falls into toolkit, so I hope, um, I'm gonna be sharing out the, a sketch video and um, some resources connected to the idea of prompt engineering. So what I developed was, I call it the facts cycle. So it stands for formulate a question, acquire the AI, create context for the AI. So make sure it, it has the contextual knowledge it needs, uh, type up the prompt and then scrutinize the result. And so it's a pretty simple thing. It's a sketch video. The sketch video itself is aimed for students. So as they engage in the prompt engineering process, they can just see, here's how it is. There's a handout connected to it. And that might be something that um, if you're new to AI and having students use it, um, the fact cycle for prompt engineering might be something
2: that they might enjoy or find useful. How can somebody find that? Where are you going to be rolling that out?
0: Um, that's going to be on my blog at spencerauthor.com. That'll be on here real soon. Um, and then the video will be on spencervideos.com, which is my YouTube channel where I do a lot of like sketch videos stuff.
2: Awesome. All right. We've been having technical difficulties all night, but we are persevering because it's about the human and the equation. Uh,
1: well, my power right, just well, went out for like two minutes and came back <laughs> on. So
2: Nobody knew that on our listener world, but Rena is gone. Now she's back. So, Rena, what is your toolkit item?
1: I don't really know what you all said, but I... I- that's okay. I've been reading through a bunch of different policies and different school districts and just kind of gathering my own thinking. But I really like this idea of when working with AI, really thinking through and being intentional around using prompts. And then, as John already alluded to, like being really aware of the illusions or the inaccurate information. Like You have to have that human to read through, and you can't just blindly follow tech. Um, and I, and I, another thing that he brought up was acknowledging when you have used AI in your work and acknowledging that and sharing it. And then really what this whole conversation is about is being thoughtful around when is it appropriate? When is it actually not appropriate to use AI? So those are kind of four things that I've taken away reading through all these things.
2: Well, the prompt engineering one was perfect because John's going to be releasing some sketch. <laughs> Sketch things on on that. Oh, I love
1: so. your sketch things, so that's great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
3: it's time to move to the the our next category, our next segment, which is our one thing. What's the one thing that's still in your mind?
1: It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. One thing.
2: Time for that one thing.
3: It's that one thing. I'm gonna ask, uh, Rena. You have a couple of things.
1: Uh, I, d- I definitely have one thing. Uh, this idea that some of the things technology can do are still things that we need to do as humans, especially in order to learn. I just that that spoke to me, and I think it's something that's threaded throughout this conversation.
2: Mm. I like that, Paul. Anything? One thing that spoke to me was when. Okay, John, you mentioned Oreos at one time. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Did you know that they've made a new artificially intelligent Oreo? It's one smart cookie. Oh, <laughs> <my God>. Yo, <laughs> I was so the setup. So the good. setup. The oh, setup. Oh goodness. Yo, if
3: people could see our faces, we were all stuck waiting on the answer. <laughs> that was so good.
2: I could oh, not yeah. resist. <laughs> but seriously <laughs> the one thing i hadn't thought of and and you were talking about in in a math classroom or whatever how you know you could the ai could maybe be watching students work and i was thinking wouldn't that be cool if there was a camera that was actually watching a student working a math problem out and the ai could catch the mistake in real time so as the student is comp- computing you know the problem they write something that's Incorrect, or they go the wrong direction, and the AI would flag that and be able to give instant reteaching or redirection. There's a lot of cool potential in that piece of it because people think of it as just the cheating side of it, but mm. when you were really focusing on that formative feedback, that really connected with me. Mm.
3: I appreciate you pointing into getting it back to the human because the thing that got me was when John said, human-driven, AI-informed. I really appreciate that because a lot of times you're like data driven, data driven, data data driven, and it's great to have good data, but like, what are you using that data for? How are you in- using that to inform what you do? So I really appreciate the idea of yeah, sure AI, but what's the purpose and how and why you're engaging with it is I think is an important part to bring it back to that humanity in it. Like, what's the purpose of this for this child? Is it going to be valuable? Mm-hmm. Um so John I'm going to throw it back since you've had so many wonderful things to share do you have one last one thing you would like to share with our audience
0: Um I'm I'm really interested thinking a lot right now about the the role of the student as a DJ like I'm just mm. very that metaphor that's that that stuck so um I will just say thank you so much for having me on here and um please feel free to connect with me um on my blog at SpencerAuthor.com, I have a lot of different. I have like a hub with different articles and and videos and things like that. that you can check out on the on this topic of AI.
2: And if you haven't seen John's drawings and sketches, you gotta check them out. <laughs> I was gonna
1: say it's for all of our different styles of learning. It's uh, you know UDL. You can find all different kinds of different styles. Whatever works best for you. Um, I really appreciate you joining us again, John. Taking the time. We love having you on the show. And just again, for our listeners, the new book out is The AI Roadmap, Human Learning in the Age of Smart Machines. So thanks again, John, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education.
3: We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity and academic tenacity to
2: create a classroom for future ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education.
1: And remember, go forth and be awesome.
2: Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.